Be seated, and we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless and help tonight. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house. And God, I pray that you would bless tonight's service in all aspects. God, that you might get the glory and the honor, we ask. God, I pray you would speak to all of our hearts here. God, from thy word, and we pray for your power and your presence to be manifested here tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. That'll be part of the text, but I want to say, say a couple things here, and then I'd like to read Psalms 122 and give a few introductory statements. But I want to preach tonight on this idea, like a rock. Like a rock. And I know you Ford lovers are already tuning me off because Chevy, like a rock. And, but, uh, but I want to take that idea upon this rock and talk to you about like a rock. And, um, but our day and our generation, and I'm and I, talking probably around my age and even all the way around, up and younger even, have really undermined and underestimated the value of the church to the believer. Our generation, if you meet people, they have greatly, greatly taken away from the importance of the church to the believer. But then I also want to say a concerning statement would be this, that likewise the believer has undermined the value of their participation in the church. Not only have we seen a world that is attacking the church and the foundation, which is the home, and the pattern as the pastor preached recently, but the believer. It's one thing when you have the world trying to destroy the things of God and discredit them, but it's a whole other thing when the believer doesn't see the value in the church. So now I'd like to invite you to Psalms 122. And we're going to read verse 1, very familiar verse. And it says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Of course, this is David. So I want to take and give a few introductory points. And to be honest, it's probably a message by itself. And if the Lord permits, we'll get back to the rock. But I want to say, first of all, based on Psalms 122, that my enjoyment of church is personal. My enjoyment of church is personal. David said, I was glad. I was glad. It's a singular uh, pronoun. Him as an individual, he said, I was glad. And so the enjoyment that David found in the church was a personal enjoyment. I, I want to say this, that my enjoyment is not based on circumstances. So many times we as God's people, we come to church on the, on the fence whether or not church will be a good part of our life or it'll be a bad part and and the circumstances of what transpires in the service and maybe the music wasn't what you was hoping for or this change or that change and if everything goes good and you feel good after you leave then you enjoy church but I want to say that David when he referenced I was glad and we'll talk in a little more in just a moment a little more about that but it was not based on anything that happened in the church It was not based on circumstances. May I say my enjoyment is not based on conviction. You know, we was talking on the bus Sunday, uh, uh, Brother David and Brother David, I think, Brother David Squared, we was on the bus and we was talking about uh, this thing of the truth and and, and preaching the truth and, and how the truth hurts. And we've all heard that. Now, truth that we're living does not hurt. 
If we're living truth, it doesn't hurt. If you're honest and you're tithing, it doesn't hurt you when the preacher preaches on being honest with God. But if you're not, it stings a little bit because that's conviction and that's the Lord speaking to you. If you're, if you're faithfully attending the house of God, then it doesn't bother you when somebody preaches you ought to be faithful to the house of God. But if you're not abiding by that truth, there's a little sting that comes with it. And that's called where truth hurts. And so may I say my enjoyment is not based on conviction. It's not based on what I felt when the preacher preached the message. My enjoyment was determined prior to ever getting to church. May I say my enjoyment is not based on church members. My enjoyment is not based on church members. Whether you shake my hand or not does not determine whether I enjoy church. And nor should it determine if you enjoy church, if certain somebody shakes your hand or they say the right thing or they look at you the right way or they compliment your new outfit. My enjoyment is not based on church members. But my enjoyment is based on my choice. My enjoyment is based on my choice. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He did not say, I was glad when we went to church. He didn't say, I was glad when church was over and we got to go home. He said, I was glad when they just, when they said, let's go. I have the opportunity to go to church. His enjoyment was not about what had been preached that day or what wasn't preached that day. You know, I wonder if the service David would reference here. You know, the pastor may have stood up and preached, said, y'all not murder. Don't you know that would hit home just a little bit. Y'all not commit adultery. Now, if David's enjoyment was dependent upon what the pastor would preach that day, he may would have struggled a little bit if that was the message. But David made a choice. He, he was happy and he was glad just at the fact he could go. And you and I should enjoy the fact that we can have church. Our, our, our joy, our enjoyment of church should be personal. You know, we enjoy things when we realize the value of those things. That's why you enjoy money. Money has a solid value. Money's value is consistent. If I hold up something green with a one in the corner, we all know that's one dollar. And that anymore, it won't even get you a a dollar menu sandwich anymore. But we all know what it is. Now if I hold up the same colored piece of paper, but I, it's got the same one in the corner, but I'm following it as two zeros, we know that's a whole lot better than the first one because we understand the value of it. And we understand what it can provide for us and what it can give for us. We enjoy cars when they give us the value back of getting us from A to B to C and back and forth. We understand the value. When they get us, we enjoy others. When they encourage us and the value of a good friendship that challenges us to be better. And you and I would enjoy church better if we really understood the value of it. And we enjoyed the value of the fact that we can have church. I, I did a Google search just out of curiosity of, of um, countries that don't allow church. And, and some of the top results were 17 countries where Christians are crucified. And, and, and literally people hide to have church. People hide to have just a, a, a fraction of the Word of God. And if caught, they're beaten brutally. And even almost to the point of death or, or abused in ways of tor- and torture and torment. And you and I have free liberty Amen. to enjoy church. And so we've got a great opportunity. So I want to say my enjoyment of church is personal. But then secondly, my engagement of church is plural. My engagement of church is plural. If you'll notice, David said, I was glad when they said. They. 
So we talked about a singular attribute of my enjoyment. And then David says, I was glad when they. So he's talking about more than one individual. And then he says, when they said unto us. So there was more than just David that got the invitation, if you will, of let's go to church and to the house of the Lord. So my engagement is plural. I remember in Hildebrand Elementary School, and we'd have PE and uh, gym class or whatever it was called then, and, and we would go into the, to the gym. And I remember there was always a sign, and I, I can still see it. It's just there. And it was a, a poster on the door, and, and it was a, 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 one of them long kayaks, I'm supposed, and it was several people, and they were rowing, supposedly, across the rapid water. And the, but the, what I remember is it said there is no I in team. There is no I in team. And, and the, 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 the concept they were trying to get us was a team mentality that it's not about one person, it's about you and the others in the class and us working together. And we would do, do activities that required you and somebody working together. One of my favorites was when Christmas time would come around, they would get the Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer song out. And they would play, and that's spiritual stuff right there. And they would, they would play that, and they had these little sled thingamajigs. And one of you got to get on the sled, which was a sled, and one got to be the reindeer and tow you back and forth. And, you, and you'd rotate and have fun. Of course, the fun part was riding, not pulling. Amen? And especially if you got paired up with, anyways, a certain individual. And so, but you would get pulled back and forth, and you love it. Man, it was awesome. And I remember those things. And you know, had I put my feet down on the sled, it wouldn't work. And I can still see the sign. No I in team. No I in team. I want to say the church is not a singular individual function. Church is not about one person. It is not about I. You cannot have church by yourself. Now, I know in our day, and we, we just made a visit the other day, we invited a man to church, and his answer, we have church right here. No, he doesn't. He may have home, and they may can get out of their bed and be in their pajamas on Sunday morning and eat a biscuit and read a couple of verses and feel good about themselves, but they did not have church. Because you cannot have church as a single individual. You cannot have church by yourself. It'd be like playing checkers by yourself. Some of you do that, don't you? I, I like Andy Griffith, and we, I just literally watched this the other day, and Aunt, Bar, Andy walks into the courthouse, it's opening up, and Barney is sitting at the desk with the leaf thing pulled out with a, a checkerboard, and he's sitting there as intently, if you and I was playing, playing checkers. But there's nobody on the other side of the board. And he'd move that piece, and he'd go around, and he'd get on the other side, and he'd play. Andy said, well, Barney, he said, uh, <laughs> you playing checkers by yourself? Yeah. He said, well, well, how you doing? He said, one, two, and lost two. <laughs> and it'd be something like this. Somebody walked by and said, hey, how was church today? And this would be the same response. Oh, man, it was good. It, church was good. I led to music. I preached. I led me to the Lord. You cannot have church by yourself. It is not in the divine order and plan of God that you and I would engage in church outside of a group in a plural setting. David said, I was glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a, my engagement must be plural. Hebrews 10.25 reads this way, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, 
And so much more as you see the last day approaching. Can I say you cannot obey Hebrews 10.25 by yourself? It's impossible. It said, assembling of ourselves together. There's got to be other selves. You cannot obey that verse by yourself. And I want to be careful and say, turning the TV on and claiming to have churches, that's by yourself. And you cannot engage in church singularly. May I say that it requires other people. And church even has a plural definition. Listen to the definition of church. It is the collective body of Christians or of those who profess to believe in Christ and acknowledge Him to be the Savior of mankind. It is the collective body of Christians. Not a one individual Christian who decides to read their Bible at home. But it is a collective body set apart. And I want to say that is the danger of churches and the home. A house church, if you will. And that leads me to, thirdly, not only is my enjoyment of church personal, my engagement of church is plural, my entering of church is physical. My entering of church is physical. Notice it says, go into the house of the Lord. Now, in order for that to happen, in order for someone to look at David and say, let us go into the house of the Lord, that means they had in their mind a physical change of location. So, if you imagine if this side was home, whatever home is for wherever David was at the time, when somebody said, let us go into the house of the Lord, it wouldn't have worked to stay home. Because the reference gives the idea that there's a physical change of location. They are going from one place and they're going into another. And so they are going into the house of God. There, my, my, my entering of church must be physical. If this is home, then there's got to be a place that's called church. There's no such thing as church home or having church home as a family. Uh, Here's the idea. David is enjoying the fact that he can go into the house of the Lord. He's enjoying that. And when you say, there must be something that separates and makes this special. And no matter what you do in the home, it's not as special for certain things unless you go somewhere and do something different. And so the idea is that for you and I to enjoy the church, there's got to be a physical change of location. Something to set apart and special. Something that makes it unique. This idea, we have church here in our home. Oh, we have church here in our home. I want to say this is a statement that says you possess the church. Let me say the statement again. We have church here in our home. When you say, oh, I have something. Somebody says, hey, do you have... Yeah, yeah, I have one of those. You're saying, I possess that. And so when you meet somebody and they say, oh, we have church in our home, they're saying we possess the church. We possess, we own the church. So what that means is there's nobody they have to be accountable to. There's nobody they have to answer to. They They can wake up in their pajamas and go to church. You wouldn't come to church in your pajamas. Because you know there's going to be somebody that's going to be, there's a certain amount of accountability comes when you walk into the house of God. And, and what that says is we possess the church, so we get to set the rules, and if we wake up and we're tired, we don't go to church. But when you are a part of a church, 
there's accountability that comes. If you're not there, somebody's probably going to be asking, where was you at? The statement that says, we go to church at Solid Rock Baptist Church, this is a statement that says, we participate in the church. Say, well, we have church here in our home. You own the church and you're missing out on a great gift. When you say, boy, man, I want to invite you over to our church and we go to church at Solid Rock Baptist Church. I participate in the church that God has established. I don't possess it. I participate in it. Possessing the church does not have the same joy as participating in the church. We all know what it is to possess something. The headaches. I mean, there's some blessings about it, but there's a whole lot of headaches that come with ownership. You have to worry about maintenance. You have to worry about spiritual health. So when we decide that we're going to own the church within our home and not take a physical change of location, we're taking on unnecessary weights that God did not intend for the church to be. We, we car ownership and a rental car. We know how that works. If it's your car, you pet it, you baby it, you take care of it, you change the oil, and you're going to you go somewhere and you take a trip and you go to Enterprise and you walk up and they hand you the keys to something with a V8 in it. You dog that thing like nobody's business because it's not yours. And you won't have to worry about it. And you get a, there's a certain satisfaction that says, man, let's enjoy what we're driving because I'm not paying if I burn the tires off and this and that. I'm going to enjoy it. And that's the rental side of things. But when you step into ownership, when you go from renting to ownership, there's a lot more headaches and responsibility that comes with it. And God wants you and I to come into the house of God where it says He's the owner. And He says, upon this rock I will build my church. And He wants it so you and I can come in and Him take ownership of the church. And you and I don't have to worry about the maintenance and the maintaining and the worrying of the church. It's God's business. And you and I would enjoy it a whole lot more if we allowed our engagement to be plural, not about ourselves. And we allowed our entering to be physical, something that set it apart from our normal life and routine and made it special. How can we best participate in the church? How can we best participate in the church? And I, I want to challenge us tonight, and then we're going to lead into the rest of the message of, I want to encourage us to be a rock in the church. To be a rock in the church. We read, and we'll read it again, Matthew 16, 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The name Peter, the actual meaning of Peter is stone or rock. If you, the name Peter means stone or rock. And so I found it very interesting. It's amazing that God puts it all right where it needs to be. That it was Peter in this passage, whose very name means stone or rock. And then it's Jesus referencing that upon this rock, He will build the church. And so we, I believe we need to be a rock in the church. So I want to start number one. I want to take the word rock and give an acrostic that would help us to be a rock in the church of God. We've, we've established that our enjoyment should be personal. Our engagement should be plural. And our entering should be physical. So once we get those few principles applied to our lives, how can we best participate in the house of God? And I believe we can do that by being a rock. So 
number one, letter R. I, th- I believe a rock is reliable. A rock is reliable. Matthew seven twenty four, and you need not turn there. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. A rock can be counted on for the proper application. You know, that I didn't read the whole passage, but there's uh, in that same passage, there's a parallel story, and we know it. The man who built his house upon the sand, and the Bible says the same thing. The rains came, the storms came, the water, and the house, great was the fall of it. Because the foundation of being a rock and sand. So it did not stand, and it fell. And God said, I liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And I want to say that I believe God wants some rocks in His church. You know, you cannot build on sand. You cannot build on something that's not stable. And I want to say a rock is reliable. It is something you can count on. There's going to be very few issues with a rock. It's solid. And I believe that God wants somewhere in our Christian walk us to become one of the vital pieces of the foundation in the church that He would have us be a part of. And if you can imagine us laying a rock building and we're developing that foundation and we put that piece in and we're in the corner. And you know, I wonder how God feels when there's times that our rock is in there but when us as a rock, if you will, but then we decide that there's something more important and we literally take a piece of the foundation out and weaken the very walls that build the church, if you will. And so I believe a rock is reliable, but I want to say I believe a rock is ready. A rock is ready. You go out and ask any rock, and if you do, don't let nobody see you. What's your plan today? They have none. They have very few other plans. They are ready. A rock is available for the master's use. A rock is available for the master's use. And here's what you and I have to understand. All God wants is a rock. He wants somebody that's willing. He wants somebody that's reliable. You know, no more than you would would build upon somebody that is wishy-washy and up and down and in and out. We shouldn't get sideways with God when He can't build on somebody that's wishy-washy, up and down, in and out. Because when you decide for whatever reason to jerk your stone out of the foundation, if you will, then all those above you that are dependent upon your role, they struggle. And so God is looking for some people that we can be the rock. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. So we need to be a part of the foundation. May I say a rock rejoices... Luke 19.40 And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should not should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Immediately. Now, now, now listen, when you read that, if, if they'll hold their peace, immediately the rocks, they're ready. They don't need a, they don't need a, a warm up and they don't need somebody to lead them and say, alright, they're about to stop rejoicing. You fellas ready? No, the rocks are ready. They say immediately. And for that to happen, it's got, they have to be on guard and ready, if you will. They rejoice. And you and I ought to rejoice in our Savior. We ought to rejoice in the fact that we get to be a part of the foundation. We get to be used of God to build His church. We ought to rejoice in that. Then I'd like to say number two in the letter O. A rock is open to serve. 
Exodus 17, 6, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And I know we're talking about the actual physical rock, but in order for that rock to obey God, it literally opened for that water to come out. You and I should be like that rock. We should be open to serve. So that what God has placed into our life through the preaching... You know, God created the rock, the very rock that Moses was about to strike. And the the water that was going to flow out of that rock, can I ask you who put that there? God. And so when God instructed that to take place, that rock was open to serve. And the service was to other people. The service of that water was so that the people of God could drink. And so that rock, what if the rock had claimed up and said, you hit me with that stick, see what I do. But that was the plan of God. Open to serve. And it had to be open. Then I want to say not only is a rock open to serve, but a rock's obedient. Numbers chapter 20 verse 8 and through verse 12. It says, Take thy rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother. And notice, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and there be strength. And notice what Moses did. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now Moses was instructed to take the rod up. He, he halfway obeyed. He said he took it up as God had commanded. So he took the rod. But when he approached the rock... Rather than, as God said, I wanted to be sanctified in the eyes of these people, Moses wanted and stole the glory of God, if you will. And he struck the rock, not only once, but twice. And water came forth. God in His graciousness was not going to allow the people of God to suffer for the lack, for the man of God not following what God had instructed. So God still took care of His people, but He gave Moses the punishment that He would not lead them to the promised land. Uh, into the land that He had given them. And I want to say that rock was more obedient than Moses. And I'm not throwing Moses under the bus. We would have all been guilty of wanting to do that. Having first time struck a rock and people's water coming out. Don't when you feel good. And man, I'm providing. And we would all be tempted to do that if we were in that same setting. But this rock was more obedient than Moses. Moses' job was to speak. The rock's job was to send water. Moses smote the rock instead of speaking, but the rock still sent forth the water. And so he was, the rock had been obedient to God. And may I say, we learn our obedience should not be connected to anyone else. Well, I would obey, but so and so did this, 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 this. I would obey, but may I say, our obedience, God does not hinge our obedience on anybody else's. Whether they do or don't does not determine and change our accountability to God Almighty. Our job is to obey. Then I'd like to say letter C, number three. I believe a rock is consistent. A rock is consistent. How many of you have ever been in a hurry and you didn't want to put shoes on and you walked out and 
stepped on a rock in sock feet or bare feet. Anybody ever done that before? Now, some of you might have tough feet, but it goes something like this. If you go out in your gravel driveway and you're, you're twitching all the way across, oh, I just got to get to the door, and then you're trying to hold on to the car, and then, then you get what you need out of the car, and, oh, man. and then it goes the same way, and you're just twitching the whole way across, and them rocks digging into softy feet of y'all. If you got man feet, it doesn't hurt. I'm just kidding. It does. And, and them rocks dig in, but you know what? Every time you step on them, guess what? They're consistent. There's not a time I, that I can say uh, in dress shoes, they're cheap. And me and Elijah will be a Sunday morning. I and mean, when I say they're cheap, they cost a lot and they don't last long. And me and Elijah will be walking to bring kids to the bus. And I was on the grass this week in the middle of the run. He said, you walking on the grass? I said, yeah, the soles are getting thin and I can feel every rock coming through on the balls of my feet. And I'm going to walk on the grass. And, but the rocks, they're consistent. Any of you ever been hit with a rock? I knew something was wrong. And, but, we, but if you get hit with a rock, guess what? It hurts about every time. There's a consistency that comes with a rock. When, when you say rock, you don't have to wonder what somebody means. A rock is hard. A rock is very consistent. Now, we went all that, but I want to say this. I believe a rock is compassionate. A rock is compassionate. Psalm 61, 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I believe there ought to be a certain amount of compassion that comes out of a rock. You know, you can use, if there's a rock that's big enough in a cave, you can get under the rock in bad weather and it shields you from that water. There's a certain amount, that rock doesn't all of a sudden, it's not going to tell you, get out of here. There's a certain amount of compassion. Can I say, if there's something you need high and above, you can get up on a rock and stay dry maybe from, from what's around and below. But, but in this passage, can I say, there's a rock that is higher than I. And that's Jesus Christ and His compassion for you and I as the believer. And you and I should display that compassion in our life. And if we're to be a rock in the church of God, there ought to be a compassion that comes with us being a rock. Psalms 18.46, The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It's, it's compassionate. Compassionate. You know, one of the worst testimonies for Christians is that we're not compassionate. It ought not be said when we go places and we deal with people, even if they're hateful to us, that we weren't compassionate. Because if you remember, we were unkind one time. We were out of line one time. But yet God was compassionate towards us and still allowed us to be saved and born again. And you and I ought to display that kind of compassion to a lost and a dying world. But then I want to say that it's committed. A rock is committed. First Samuel seventeen forty eight. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. That the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. When David reached into the sack there that he had those stones in, as he stood before Goliath and he took that stone out, can I say that that stone, once David's hand grabbed that stone, and, and they'll tell you there's multiple stones in that bag, and, but we know there was one stone for sure that, got, that David had in there that was meant for the forehead of Goliath. And when David reached and grabbed that rock, I want to tell you that rock was committed from that point forth. 
When David, if you'll imagine, taking the leather-wrapped sling, if you will, and placing that rock in and beginning to whine, that rock's committed. It's committed to the cause that it was created for. I want you to think about the magnitude of God that when He laid the mud slabs of the world, that very rock, He already knew the purpose it had. He knew that would be the rock that David would use one day to take care of Goliath. Now that's the kind of God we're talking about. And when that rock was chosen, there wasn't no turning back. There wasn't no, David, get me out of here. It was committed. And when that rock, I want you as it went through the air, that rock was completing its purpose that God had placed it on earth for. And it was following through with the very commitment that was chosen for its line. And I want to express that the commitment the rock had was not ordained by anybody but God. And our commitment, if we realize our commitment is bigger than us, bigger than somebody else, and that whatever purpose God has placed us here for, we'll be okay and there'll be no turning back. And I think as a rock in the foundation of the church, we ought to be committed. We ought to be committed to the cause of Christ and what God would have us to do. But then lastly, in letter K, I want to say that a rock was known. Known. K-N-O-W-N. It was known. Notice that Jesus knew Peter by name. Now, most verses in the Bible are going to reference Jesus as our rock. And can I say that the characteristics of a rock are known? They're known. Not only was the character Peter, he was known, but the characteristics of a rock are understood by many. They're known. You know a rock to be hard. You don't have to wonder when they say, man, man, that's as hard as a rock. You know that means it's hard. And you know if somebody says your biscuits are hard as rocks, that's not a compliment. <laughs> and um, you know, you know when somebody says that, what they mean. You don't have to, when they say, man, that's as tough as a rock. You don't question, what do they mean? What's that mean? It's known. It is known. And if you and I are to be rocks in the church for the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be known by Jesus. We ought to be known in our characteristics and our character and our godly Christian character should be known. There ought to be a God in heaven that knows who we are and that knows our name and that knows that we're willing and that knows that we want to make up and be the foundation. There ought to be that rock that we ought to be known. So I want to ask you a question as we talk about like a rock. Are you known by God? Does God have a rock in you? No, it's not flattery. It's not appealing and, and there's not going to be a lot of limelights and neon lights that say, boy, we're the, they're the best rock you've ever seen. But God is looking for some rocks that He said, upon this rock I will build my church. He just wants some rocks. He wants somebody that will enjoy church, engage in church, and that will enter into the church. Are you a rock tonight?